0: Welcome to the Marketing Made Inclusive podcast. I am your host, Joanne Boyce. On this podcast, we're going to discuss all things inclusive marketing, from persona creation, campaigns, and even some of the mishaps we see in the media. Tune in and let me know your thoughts on how we can make inclusive marketing the industry standard. Welcome and welcome back to the Marketing Made Inclusive podcast. I am so excited for this episode because... I have what I'm calling a inclusive marketing OG with me. <laughs> <laughs> we were here before 2020. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I am joined by the amazing Sonia Thompson. Um, I want you to introduce and just talk about what you do and let the people know everything about you. So I'll give you the floor.
1: Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm Sonia Thompson. Uh, I'm an inclusive marketing um, coach, strategist, and consultant. And yeah, I've been in this space I would say I started in it 2017, but really went all, decided to go all in probably like 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically um, I am somebody with a lot of differences and that's how I got started um, really talking about inclusion from a marketing standpoint, because I am, um, have very often been a frustrated, Consumer, because of my differences, I'm a black woman. I follow a gluten-free diet for health reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, now, um, I have. Um, I was an expat for a while. I lived in Argentina. Um, my husband is Argentine, so we immigrated to the U.S. Two years. Well, he immigrated to the U.S. I moved back to the U.S. two years ago. Um, so we have this intercultural, um, interracial marriage. We have um, in a biracial, bicultural, um, bilingual daughter, right? So there's a lot of things going on um, Mm -hmm. that for me, it's not just about my career, my profession. Like I live it on a daily basis. Um, So it's just been an interesting, fascinating experience that one, I was already sort of leaning into it. From my career, because I focus a lot on customer experience. Um, but really, as I started diving into more inclusive marketing, I realized that, customer experience and inclusive marketing aren't two separate things. They go hand in hand, like they're inseparable twins. Right. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, like I've just been in this space for a little while. It's interesting to see more and more people getting into it. So I'm excited about it. Um, but at the same time, I I kind of have some trepidation as I look at more people getting into it. Cause I don't think that everybody's fully quite gets, understands the weight depth of what inclusive marketing really means why we're doing it and what it feels like on the other side of it it's not just something that we're doing but like as consumers this is our lives right like the Mm -hmm. stakes are higher for us so there's there's a lot more um to do with it versus just like you know I think some people think it's more just about changing up some photos and things like that and it's not
0: (laughs) there's so many layers to it I'm always fascinated because you mentioned coming in from the consumer perspective and that mm-hmm. B2C like direct impact aspect of it. What what do you think was the first kind of stone in your shoe that made you start to feel that this needs to change?
1: Um, I think it started, so there's always been rumblings of it, right? Throughout my life. One thing I did mention, I'm also left-handed, right? So I remember growing up, thinking that I was just a bad cutter. Like Mm -hmm. I was just, I couldn't cut. Like I was Mm -hmm. just a a skill that I did not acquire. Come to realize I didn't acquire the skill because I didn't have a tool that was designed for me. The scissors were made for right-handed people. And whenever I tried to do it with my left hand, it just, it didn't work. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a hot mess. And then whenever I switched to my right hand, it still was a hot mess because I'm left-handed. Like I, you know, I'm not meant. So like those were the, the inklings of the frustrations where I started like later on connecting the dots. Oh, like this isn't a me problem thing. This is like a marketing issue. <laughs> right. Um, And then I would say later on more into like late teens, adulthood, it came around seeing, needing stockings um, and not being able to find nude stockings Relatable. that actually matched my skin tone. Um, so again, going around looking a hot mess <laughs> in stockings that were, that like just did not match and just feeling like, why, like, why does it have to be this way? Um, and I think really, but just being frustrated because there weren't really other options. And I think I really sort of hit me and I got, angry, like angry whenever I ended up having to start a gluten-free diet. And then just seeing how going into restaurants, like how just not enough people catered to um, people who had these restrictions. And I think once I started living in Buenos Aires um, and then actually seeing that it was possible actually seeing restaurants that were 100% gluten-free and that other people were able, who weren't gluten-free would go there and they love it. And it was, it was, you know, because it was delicious food. It was one of those things that started to click. Like, it's not that they, these businesses can't do it. It's that they're choosing not to do it. Yeah. Um, And here are businesses that have decided to cater to the person who has, you know, quote unquote, um, different needs um, are accommodating us, and they are still thriving, right? And just it—it it started to really click for me that it—it it doesn't have to be—it's it, a—it's an actual choice. Um, it's a—it's a choice, and as business owners, um, we can all do better to choose to serve people. And one, it's beneficial to your business, but if you think about the consumer the impact on them is transformational right and um and whenever consumers who are traditionally underserved um for whatever reason whenever they find a brand that actually does serve them and as intentional about doing them like the loyalty that we have is is it's like intense right like mm-hmm. the number of times that i go to or latch onto a restaurant that serves, you know, good gluten-free food. Like I'm there all the time. And whenever I eat out with like my people, we're there all the time. Um, and it's just one of those things where you start to see that, like, this isn't just the right thing to do. It makes just great business sense. Um, yeah. so yeah, those are kind of when things started to like the, the, the dots were always there throughout my life. And then it's just, as I started to get more and more data points I started to see that there, the dots were connecting um, and just kind of helped me see that this is this is a real thing that we need to spend more time talking to that not enough people understand um, because I think most people were just kind of oblivious to it if they didn't have someone in their life mm-hmm. um, or them, them and themselves who experienced these challenges because of some difference that they had.
0: So many truths there, but something you mentioned really stuck out to me you experienced what it could be and that's so relatable because I grew up in Trinidad mm-hmm. and Trinidad in the Caribbean is a melting pot, literal melting pot, like everyone is something of something <laughs> and I always remember when I came over here, I look back and I say to my mom, oh this was the first time I kind of realized I was black coming to England. Oh, okay. Because there was a differentiation. In Trinidad, you are Trinidadian. Yes, you may be of African heritage or Indian heritage or Chinese heritage, but you're Trinidadian. There's no separation. Um, So there was always something for everything. We can walk into the shops and find things. We can see ourselves in TV, in print, in marketing. It was natural. And I say sometimes when I'm talking to clients, it's easy for me to look at their campaigns and just imagine... What an inclusive version would be because I've experienced it. I'm like, that right. is possible. Yeah. It's not. And it sounds so similar to what you're saying that you experienced that in you know, Argentina. You're like, this is possible. So why are you not doing it? Right. It's so simple. Um, so you mentioned people are kind of stepping into inclusive marketing, but not necessarily approaching it or doing it in a way where they're considering the consumer. How would you define inclusive marketing?
1: So inclusive marketing for me is all about being intentional about who you will serve and who you're not going to serve. And then intentionally incorporating them into every aspect of your marketing mix. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the being intentional part who I see a lot of people um, feel like inclusive marketing means that you have to serve everybody. And that's, it's a nice thing to do but it's unrealistic for most businesses because there's so many dimensions of diversity. Um, But where I see people, and it becomes a bit of a pet peeve for me, but like, I think where they struggle to understand the depth of what really being inclusive is, is that they want to do it purely on the side of, we want to serve more people to get them to buy more of our stuff, not in that, we're truly inclusive, so we're going to build teams that are representative of the people that we want to serve. We are going to actually do something to support the communities um, and serve the communities and lead them off better um, and address some of these inequities that exist that, you know, cause them to be underrepresented or underserved in the first place. They're not necessarily addressing all of those. They're just, how can we So how do we, how can we get them? How can we get this community to buy more of our stuff? And I think more and more consumer and it's, well, it's nice to, um, have more people sort of interested. I kind of liken it to, it's like whenever somebody didn't invite you to their party, Mm -hmm um and then for years that you just never got an invitation to their party and then all of a sudden one day they came up to you and it's like hey you want to come and their expectation is that of course you're going to want to come but more and more consumers are like you didn't invite me all these like why should I all of a sudden like want to come like just because you invite me doesn't mean that I'm interested and I think that a lot of times brands kind of take that approach where it's a feeling of entitlement that all I have to do is, you know, start getting some attention to people from these communities. And of course, they're going to want to buy our stuff, right? Like they're, of course, they want to kind of, you know, give a, the, give us their attention. And it's not really that. And I think that people don't understand that our expectations as consumers is that you have to do more to earn our trust. Like the people that we're already buying from, that we're super loyal to, they've done the work to, because they've been intentional about serving us when nobody else was. Mm -hmm. Um, And they understand us and they've they've done the work to make us feel like they belong. And that really is at the heart of it. Whenever I talk about, about inclusive marketing, belonging is really the goal. And it takes a lot to make someone feel like they belong. It's not just about doing things at a superficial level for like me to feel and belonging is like a universal need that everybody has. And we all might not be able to describe what belonging is, but we know it when we feel it because we Mm. felt it in different aspects of our lives. So whenever you feel it from a business standpoint with a brand from trying, you know, and, and consumer Um, point of view but also from a brand and their values or as an employee like we know what belonging feels like and that's more and more how we're deciding of who we're going to be loyal to and who we're going to you know give our money to and our attention to or our resources and our time like you know our expertise it it comes down to that.
0: So it's really interesting on that aspect of belonging because I guess the way I would see a marketing team being able to make consumers feel belonging and belonged into their communities, understanding it. But one of the things I kind of say to clients is that they could implement inclusive marketing, even if their team isn't diverse. Mm -hmm. What is your view? If the team isn't, if they're not making any effort at all internally to make their team diverse. And do you think they can still do that?
1: They can, if they have a deep degree of intimacy with the people that they're trying to serve, okay. and that deep degree of intimacy generally comes through proximity, right? Um, so, not it's not saying that if you're a team of men, like you can you really serve women? Yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. You probably be better off if you have some women on your team, of course, because there are aspects of the experience of being the woman that, no matter how much research you do you might not be able to really get that nuance and understand it fully. Like it's helpful to have that degree of intimacy that helps that really make things click. Um, I, I speak Spanish, right. Um, and I spent time living in Argentina. My husband is Argentine. Like there's so much of the culture, but, the, but I, there, I, I can't fully grasp what it means to be Argentine um like you know like i no matter how like even and i've got proximity to it right mm-hmm. and so it's it's going to be helpful for me like i'm i'm always asking my husband explain like how this feels and different things like that um in in the point of view and the background knowledge because there's just some things that with my recent years of experience entrenched in it i'm still not going to know i still don't know all the history so having people where it's their lived experience is always beneficial. So, even if because you know, I know sometimes, depending on the size of your brand, headcount can be an issue, right? Mm-hmm. And so, it's not like, oh, our team's not diverse, we're just going to go and change everybody tomorrow, right? It's that's not the expectation. However, you can work with consultants, you can co create with people who are part of those communities. Um, and th- that's going to be how you one, develop the degree of intimacy that you need, but also it's going to signal that you really do care about that community and that you want to serve them and that you're actually doing something to change that degree of um, whatever caused them to be under underserved by kind of changing it within your own team or with the people mm. that you're choosing to work with.
0: I think that ties back really nicely to... Um the episode we had last week or week or two ago about choosing influencers to work with on campaigns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't have the internal team, the influencers you could, you work with can show your understanding of those different communities, those different backgrounds. Uh, that's Absolutely. really good. I'm so curious because you mentioned living in Argentina. What did you see the differences in marketing there? And I I don't know if you can speak for the whole um, Spanish or Spanish speaking community, is there inclusive marketing in that aspect?
1: So what I did start to notice, and it's funny, my husband started pointing it out to me as we would go in different places. Um, we started to see from an inclusion standpoint, um, there, there are different dimensions that we would start to recognize, right? Mm-hmm. So we started to see mannequins um, of different sizes in some of the, um, stores, right. Um, interestingly enough, whenever you go to restaurants, then you're more and more, you have them serving people who are Mm gluten-free, but also what would be interesting is there'd be restaurants who would have entire menus in English. Um, so of course everybody speaks Spanish, but right. The population speaks Spanish, but there'd be times where underneath it, They'd have the English version of it, or they'd have an entire menu apart, like, you know, that they would bring and sit on the table because they would hear like me or my friend sometimes speaking in English. They just bring you the English menu. Um, and those are little things that they would do to show that they're prepared, but like think about here in the US, like we do not. Spanish <laughs> should be technically. It should be, right? Like. We do not, like you go into a restaurant, it's not that you have, you know, a menu in English or it written in both languages, unless it's a, um, um you know, a Latino specific restaurant. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, cause then they're going to have them both languages. So those are the different types of things that we would see. I remember whenever we went to Argentina last year, we were coming back and we were in like the airport restaurant and um, we were looking at the, I was looking at the menu and I took a picture of it. The menu is written in Spanish, English and Portuguese, because those are the three primary languages that you're going to find if you're going to be in Argentina. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Or the tourists that are coming. That covers a lot of bases, Spanish, English and Portuguese. And it was just there. And I was like, look at that. Like, you know, it it didn't take that much effort. Um, It doesn't require you to necessarily change your servers and things like that because you can just point, right? This is what I want because it's in your language. So I found that they were much more inclusive or we're starting to see those changes on that front. There's an interesting debate that's going on um, in um, Spanish language. You're starting to see it in basically. Languages that derive from Latin that use gendered, gendered yeah. um language. Um, So there's a lot of, <laughs> um what should we be using? Um Should we be changing? Like, you know, there's a camp of don't change the language, right? Like, this is the language that we've grown up with. Is this inclusive by actually changing? Like, is this doing anything by changing the language? Like, there are more purists. There are others who, like, we should we we should be changing these things. And, you know, we should wherever possible eliminate the gendered option. Like there's these debates that are going on, but the debate is helpful because people are thinking about it from an inclusion standpoint. Of course, you know, there are different camps and points of view, but the conversation is helpful just to see that they're thinking about it on different levels.
0: And that's such a tricky one because there's so many language debates that I observe online, and I'm just so fascinated by, it, but I don't necessarily have a stake in, like yeah, so that what is one like with gendered wording, I don't even know which way would go <laughs> i if I were in a community that had gender language, I'd probably more lean on the side of introducing a third. I think there should oh. always be a third option, mm-hmm. non plural and changing, but not removing, but I don't know, um <laughs> but the other debate I've seen online, I wonder if you've noticed it and what your opinion on it is is um, referring to the disabled community as disabled people or person with disability. Okay. And that one, I have seen both, like, it seems divided.
1: It is. So Um, I, so whenever I worked in corporate, the last um, position that I had, I worked for, um, we made insulin pumps for people with diabetes, people mm-hmm. with diabetes, because that was a, that was a very specific language choice it wasn't diabetics um it was always people with diabetes this person has type one diabetes and um we spent a lot of time working on our marketing team we were we had people on our team who had diabetes um and we spent we were That I would probably say that that position was the closest that we were to the consumer. Like we were very much integrated and connected and had a deep degree with the consumer. Mm -hmm. And that community in particular was very much, I'm a person with diabetes, not um, I am diabetic. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I remember was introduced to that sort of conversation and that sort of nuance then, and it was, it was a fascinating thing right like in as someone for me i um have some autoimmune disorders and i even started to think about like how do i want to describe it like do i have it or am I? so it's like you know what i mean and so then i was so then i started to say oh i'm someone who battles it right so then it's not like part of my identity but it's like something like i deal with it right and Sometimes like everybody, I think it's a very personal decision mm-hmm. that um it's not really for marketers to make. It's for marketers to respect. Um, and knowing that there's probably not gonna be a right answer going back to the language thing, somebody's always gonna be upset. Somebody's always gonna be like, this isn't right. Mm-hmm. So um as marketers, it's gonna be let's listen to what the people that we're serving and the people in the community are saying. And then you have to take an informed decision based upon that, knowing that there's probably always gonna be somebody who's not happy about whatever choice that you make, but you have to stand firm on that, which goes back to what I was saying about inclusive marketing. It's all about being intentional about choosing, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to choose. in it. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I'd love your help on this. Sometimes <laughs> I'd get clients that say, I want to say what's the right thing. I want to have an inclusive language guide that tells us what's right. And I'm just like, it's not right. It's what... So have you had clients approach you saying, like, we, tell us what's the right thing to say?
1: I had um, a client that was, we were having this conversation about language. <laughs> and it was specifically one about Spanish language because it was about this gendered thing. And again, my counsel was them is like you have to choose because again, what the, they they listen to a group of people um and they changed everything to um be gender neutral, but not gender neutral in the sense that um they they use it with like the newer um I think it was like instead of saying um Latino, Latina, they said Latine. Right, mm. which is the newer gender neutral way of saying it with an Latin- E Latin A, A. Oh. E.
0: What so is Latin X not anymore?
1: Latin X is something, it's 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 different. So I remember having this conversation with my husband. I'm like, what do you think of this term? And he's like, What is it? Like, what does it even mean? Like, he had no idea what it meant. He had never heard it before, it wasn't part of his circles. From him, it was something that people in the US who weren't from of Latino descent were calling people of Latino descent. Now I started to dig into it a little bit more um, and it really did generate from um, the Latino community, but it, it's, there's still, I think I saw uh, some research by Pew, from Pew Research saying that only 4% of the population would ever say that when referring to themselves. Um, They, or they hadn't heard of it. Like it was just a, what, what is that? So it's very sort of divided. Like, so I think you're either going to have people saying Latino, Latina, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But then you have a very different, smaller group, right? Um, Who is going to say Latine, because that is like the newer gender neutral version of it but Latin- Latinx if you think about like grammar of how it works in Spa- like that's not that's not a it's not a not
0: an option it's not it's a- not
1: an option right yeah. like it's it's like a my understanding of it because clearly I'm not the like I'm not a grammarian and you know Spanish is not my first language but my understanding of it like you wouldn't see that in any other form it's like Whenever you see people writing women and they change the E to an X, it's like that, like, and I think the intentions are right when people are doing it, but there's, there's some offense that people have, like, why are, why are we doing this? Because then it brings in a whole different, um, sort of can of worms as you're thinking about, um, you know, the trans community and it just gets very complicated. Right. So then it goes back to you have to choose. So I have a um a translation team that I work with. Um and we we you know offer this as a service. And what we do is we use gender neutral language wherever possible, not in the sense that we're using um we're changing um the meaning, right? Adding like the the latine, we're not changing it that way. We just reword sentence so that gender isn't necessary okay um so we take that context Mm -hmm. out of it sometimes it makes it a little bit longer but we eliminate in a lot of cases the debate now we had an instance recently where um they were the team was translating some legal document and so they're like we couldn't avoid it because it would have changed the meaning completely of -hmm. this document so we left it as it is but we're just advising you like in this instance it was more trouble To it, it wasn't The right thing to do for meaning because when you're translating meaning and understanding is the most important um but it's just a matter of like as a brand you have to make your own guidelines right and and you and and making those guidelines no one can tell you if it's right or wrong you just have to choose it's like whenever unilever um a couple of years ago decided we're not going to use the word normal in our personal um products or beauty brands because normal who decides what normal is what
0: what is normal skin what is normal hair what is right
1: Mm -hmm. right and it was from their research they realized people were feeling bad about themselves if they needed something that wasn't labeled normal on the box right Mm -hmm. can i come and tell them you should no they had to come to that conclusion based upon the research now they're going to be some people like come on like why did you have to do that but they they had to take that decision based upon their values, based upon, you know, their commitment or their 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 intimacy that they have with the consumer and how they felt. And they took a stand and they went with it.
0: I wonder. End of story. <laughs> but I wonder if the I don't know if you remember the Dove advert that mm-hmm. uh, that kicked up a little controversy where they had um a white woman standing in front of a representation of a skin in image and background and had normal over her. And then oh. the black woman was standing in front of image and it said dry skin and
1: oh. the
0: commercial kept referring to normal as good showing the white woman and then bad as a black skin is what is the probably of all the kind of recoveries Dove has made the biggest recovery uh, yeah. in terms of their representation yeah but that's, that comes to mind that that's how they used to use normal like oh normal or you have the problem or you have right
1: this. right yeah. and it sounds like because the normal thing like who d- who decides it but it sounds like they had just some other unfortunate like it wasn't just about the word it was the visuals accompanying it that that took on a completely different meaning and all this different way etc it's like oh no <laughs> And so then it becomes not just about the words; it becomes all of the campaign and goes through the cultural intelligence that you have to have. I remember I was listening to your podcast talking about um, the H and M example, right? Because mm-hmm. if they had used the word "that shirt," the monkey, you know, coolest monkey in the jungle on a kid on any other child besides it, a black child, it wouldn't have been an issue, it would right? Have been fine, it, but you know, it's just. That's why having the cultural context is so important. And why going back to what we were saying before, having people on your team who have lived experiences um, who are part of that community will be able to help um, let you know this isn't okay. (laughs) Right? Like and and to warn you about like things that could be easily missed if it's somebody, it's not your experience, right? It's not your day-to-day.
0: Mhm, I fully agree, and I will always add to that and data because I feel like in that h and m example, I always imagine somebody would have said something,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: they would have been, like, oh, it's not that deep, but as if they could would have could have showed them hey here's here's some data of all the times this went wrong, or here's some data of how this impacted X or whatever,
1: yeah,
0: it could have backed that person's because another campaign. I don't know if it was HM, no, it's been a few, but another campaign came about. Yes, it was London Knife Crime. Okay. They decided to do a campaign where they printed stories about young people and how they've used knives and had those, you know, impact their lives. Really insightful. They worked with a community organization, grassroots, um, but they printed the stories inside chicken boxes.
1: Oh. And
0: it was just <laughs> like fast food chicken shop. and everyone's just like, Are you what are you trying to? Imply here,
1: what are you? What are you yeah. trying to say? What the stereotype doesn't quite work so well. Yeah. And
0: every Twitter went crazy. They found the agency that created the campaign, and there was one black person on their team, and that person was very junior. And unfortunately, her, her picture was next to the office dog, and Twitter just went ham. They were just like, "Oh my gosh!" This shows how much you respect people and so forth. Oh. But It always reminded me that even when the person who has the knowledge and lived experiences in the room, it's sometimes so difficult to get them to believe. I think we get so much privilege being able to come in from the outside and literally that's our title. Like I said, I go in to say the things your team wants to say to you.
1: Right. Well, I think that's why it goes back to what I was saying before about belonging. Right. Mm. If you're on the team, but you don't feel like you belong or you don't have the psychological safety that enables you to speak up and raise the alarm whenever something isn't quite right, then you're not providing the value of you're not going to get the benefit of having a diverse team. Right. The, the diverse team, just because you diversify your team doesn't mean that you're going to get the benefit of having a diverse team because it has to be an inclusive culture where people feel like they belong. Right. And if they don't belong, if they're nervous about backlash or, you know, their voice, if they feel like they're there to check a box and mm-hmm. their voice isn't really valued, mm-hmm. then it doesn't matter. Right. That you have this black person on the team or you have this woman on the team if she can't Say what she needs to say about you know the the campaign or what it is that you're doing, and that this isn't quite right. And her voice, that voice, be heard, mm-hmm. right and valued. Yeah. So it's not just enough to have the person on the team; like they have to be able to. They
0: have to speak be able up. to say and have <laughs> yeah. have some because yeah, H and M is the one that was somebody had to. I just I. <laughs> That is one of my goals to just interview somebody who works on that campaign. I don't know if they'll ever want to do it. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm just like, somebody had to, because I remember they interviewed the mother and she said she didn't see it, but I'm just like the power dynamics there, even if you did feel uncomfortable with it, you wouldn't be able to, they are paying you and your child to model. There's a power dynamic there that doesn't allow the mother of that child to be like, hey,
1: you know. Well, yeah. And that goes to um, because I remember reading about like the mother saying, like, it didn't bother me. And I think that goes to why um a lot of times what brands will do is they will go to insert whatever num- element of diversity or person on the team has. And doesn't matter if they're in the department. That doesn't matter if that's their job. Doesn't matter their level of expertise. Oh, you're black. Oh, you're an immigrant. Oh, you're whatever. You And the, you, the expectation is that you can speak for the entire group of people. If your expertise is, yes, you have lived experience, but like my lived experience is different from your lived experience. It's different from another's. And we all have this opinion. We all have our own opinions about different things, mm-hmm. right? So you can't just expect that this one person that you talk to, um can can or should be the voice of an entire community because you know, we've already been talking about how there's like different communities they they haven't found agreement on a variety of different topics and issues. so it's it's important to make sure that you've got that depth of knowledge and that you're not. Um, write a whole campaign or decision on one person's experience right or one person's point of view because it can be very different (laughs) it might not all be in line with you know the way a lot of people in the community could think
0: Mm -hmm. and it might cost you four billion dollars
1: yeah (laughs) yeah
0: that is my favorite and most terrifying stat that I love four billion because that's a lot of money I feel like it's probably more than that that's just how much they would. it's it's a lot it's a yeah. lot, but um, all right, so let's think about the small businesses and the solo marketeers. Are there any tips you'd give them about approaching how to start getting that closeness to their customers, how to start making their customers feel like they belong when they have limited resources?
1: It goes back to me, um, for for customer intimacy. And what I like to say, um, and what I advise people is you really need to expand your circle of influence. Um, and it doesn't always have to cost money to do that. Sure. Market research is helpful. Maybe you can't, you know, um, hire new people right away, but you can follow different accounts on social media You know, you can have a coffee chat with somebody, you can listen to different voices in different podcasts or watch different shows on Netflix or TV, you know what I mean? Like to get a perspective that is different from your own. So if you want to know more about the LGBTQ plus community and you don't have anybody in your circle um, and you don't feel like you have a market research budget, there are some books that you can read there are some some twitter and TikTok and instagram accounts that you can follow that will give you a degree of education and foundation not just about like this is how we feel about this but just like insert yourself into the community as like even a fly on the wall and like be a mm-hmm. participant right um i remember whenever i, I whenever i worked in that um that, that team where we were, you know, making insulin pumps for people with diabetes, there was a guy on our team who would um, join Twitter chats that people in the diabetes community were having. And he wasn't saying anything. He was just like tuning in and listening. And he learned a ton, right. Just from being there and being present. And maybe at some point somebody might've asked him a different question, but like the level of intimacy that you're able to get just by proximity is 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 it's a lot right i was talking to so someone much. um recently and she was saying that her best friend's child had celiac disease okay. and because of that like her and her family they didn't have it but she's like our family is a gluten-free house um because this child is going to come over to our home and we don't want to risk any type of cross contamination their circle of influence changed and they got a perspective of what it was like um, just because of proximity to someone who was in their circle. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have anybody in your circle right now, that doesn't mean that's not an excuse. Like you can go out and get somebody in your circle and you don't always have to physically know them, but you can work on building relationships, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But a very simple thing that anybody can do is change who you're getting information from, where you're getting information from, and you will learn and observe and pick up a lot of stuff um, and quickly learn like what's acceptable, what's not, what the issues are that are controversial within the community. Yeah. um, And just some of those nuances and, um, as you start to develop those relationships, you might even get to a place where if you have something, we're like, I'm not really f- sure about, you can ask a question. And because of the relationship that you have and the commitment that you've demonstrated by being present, um, people will often enough, you know, give you feedback on or answer your question, um, mm-hmm. because they know where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Not just can I, how can I extract from you by like doing some you know market research I like can figure out how to sell you more of my stuff yeah
0: <laughs> yeah I that's one of the my favorite bits of research we do for clients because sometimes they're just like oh my pet peeve is oh oh they're just not there oh x people black people aren't interested disabled people aren't interested And I'm just like here is five twitter groups specifically about your subject yeah. area yeah from this community who are yes. actively talking about it
1: i mm-hmm. like oh
0: we didn't I'm like literally just put When you're searching things, ninety five percent of the time, if you put the word black woman, yes, um, disabled, any word of a marginalized community, there's probably a group somewhere advocating for it, talking about it, engaging about it.
1: Absolutely, to search they don't. I remember somebody had come to me and they were asking me about like um, how they wanted to reach the um, the Hispanic the Latino community here, and they're like, normally what I would do in general when I'm reaching businesses, I would go to the chamber of commerce. I'm like but there's a Hispanic chamber of commerce. There's one in every city. He's like, really? Like he had no idea. Like, and because he wasn't part of the community, like the same way there's a black chamber of commerce, the same way there's like, you know, like there's there's all these different groups and communities and they've created... These groups and communities out of necessity because they want a place where they feel like they belong and they feel like they can be seen and they don't get in the mainstream. But like, you know, people who are often part of the main like it is they're completely oblivious that these things even exist, but they're there.
0: <laughs> I am literally I never I know there's a business chamber of commerce in the UK and there's one in the Southwest. I don't know if there's a black one. I think that's one of the things that I do admire about doing inclusive marketing in America. It's just oh. you have you have the numbers for things like okay. Yeah, so there's a there's a Hispanic and a Black Chamber of Commerce, like in every state. Sorry, I'm still they're, taking that they're, in.
1: There there, I believe there are. I'm I'm pretty sure. And it's not just state, like it's cities. Now, you'll probably find it more in the areas where people are concentrated, but at a minimum, there are national. Like um, I I went to an HBCU, right? So mm. historically black college and university, and um you know, there, I remember from going to an HBCU just getting connected to different organizations. like there's like a Black MBA Association, right? There is a National Black Association of Accountants. There is um, um Association for Hispanic Engineers, right? Like we have all of these things that are very specific. To whatever group, national and chapter level, right? And and that's maybe that's a very US thing because we're accustomed to like, let's find our belonging. Um, let's find these spaces. If, if we don't feel like we belong in one, we're gonna go create ours in another. Um, and so yeah, I think that it it's very rampant here.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's the so I've just found the UK version, but it sits within the London one. Okay. So I think that's probably We've I don't want to say, but I have yet to find something that's truly standalone. And oh. if there is, there's only one. Okay. Like, okay. Um, so that's so interesting.
1: Yeah. You would go even on college campuses, like traditional, um, that aren't like an HBCU, like more, more traditional campuses, you're gonna find like um an Asian student union. Um you know, a black student like you. There, every there's different groups. It's, think of them like employee resource groups, but just out and about in different, you know, yeah. industries, areas. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the university ones we definitely have, but yeah, okay. outside of that, I've always been like, because it's it's fun joining a networking environment and stuff like that. But sometimes you just want to be like, hey, let's just you know chit chat yeah. rather yeah. Than specific sales. Um, yes. Yeah. Hey, that was tangent. <laughs> what, so I'm also fascinated by some of the differences with, for I guess, from what you've seen online. How do you see inclusivity? If you see anything coming out of the UK, how is that seen in America? What is the perception?
1: Hmm. I think that in the US, when we're thinking about the UK, I think that people probably wrongly associate everything with the UK with London, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And so um, London, I think, is, from my perception, is very diverse, right? And I think that people might think that it's like that everywhere else in the country. Uh-huh. And I don't think that exists, right? I don't think, I don't quite think that's the case. Um so I think that whenever people are looking at stuff happening in the UK, they might kind of not have the full picture of what life is like or what um, the diversity landscape is like. So I think it kind of taints that view. Unfortunately, in the US, we still have a very US centric points of view, so we don't a lot of people from the U S don't often know what's happening or what's going on in other places. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, and so we don't often even get a lot of those things. Now we can go out and search it and seek it out, but I think from what we've seen, it feels like there's a lot more diversity going on. Um, and I don't know if that's the truth or if that's just what is represented on like TV (laughs) or movies you know what I mean? Or in like, you know, the media. I think it's more than
0: is exported.
1: Okay. I
0: think um, over the recent years, the UK with the rise of like Meghan Markle, but also music artists, like there's now a okay. recent rise of Black British culture and there's a rise ah. of Stormzy and stuff going out.
1: OK. Um,
0: And then the collaboration between like Afrobeats, I think is. Yeah. So musically, I think is it's that's getting exported. But I'm always curious to know because I feel from a marketing and a tabloid instance, I have this gut thing that America just realized a little bit about UK with the whole Meghan Markle situation.
1: Yeah. And I I well, I think that plus maybe our limited understanding of what was happening in with Brexit. And just how they are understanding and interpretation of just race relations, immigrants, people from different parts of um, people who are like British, born and British, their their line is British versus people who have, you know immigrated, come from different parts. And I think that the race conversation, as it related to Meghan Markle, was a bit of a surprise. Um, but also if we think about the U S race is a conversation that we have always. Okay. Um, and I say that, and I didn't realize it until I lived in Argentina Mm -hmm. and realized how little I thought about race and then came back to the U S and realized how it was race is always a part of the equation and it always feels part of the thought process mm-hmm. and it it kind of was a a bit of a huh I didn't kind of realize that and so I think that we might from the U.S. when we were looking at other countries and if we think about the UK we didn't probably have the idea that race and racism existed on the same level just because I think that we feel like we know what it feels like here and it might have seemed or felt different from our experiences, mm-hmm. whether it's going to the UK or what we see on TV or what we're seeing from the culture. Um I think we felt probably like it it happens much more fluid, like the people are much more connected and integrated and inclusive there versus the way it might feel here. <laughs> Because it that's the bit
0: that I always find interesting in the, in to related to marketing. I always from the outside looking in, I feel like sticking to race, one of the main things within American marketing, it wasn't that they weren't representation, it was the type of. Mm-hmm. Whereas here in England, it was that there wasn't.
1: Like oh okay. So it always
0: felt like we were a little behind. Cause I remember a couple Christmases ago there was okay. a commercial, a Sainsbury's commercial, where they had a family celebrating Christmas talking about gravy, because very British thing okay. to talk about gravy. Um, but the family was a majority, it was all black. Okay. And there was a huge uprising of like really how could they do that? That's not British, da, 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 da. and looking back like, it's not
1: British because they were all black?
0: Yeah. Um oh, okay. But they were talking about gravy, which is very, it's, it's very... Yeah. And I always, when I looked at the American commercials, initially when I looked to them, I was very much like, I don't see the problem. And then I had to take a step back and like, oh, there's stereotypes in this that yes. aren't right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think that, so we still have to work on representation here because we've seen it more so in things that popped up when we've had, like, um, they recasted Little Mermaid, and it's a Black actress, right? Um, they just recast Tinkerbell and Peter Pan, and it's a Black actress. And people are like, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't seem right. And it goes back to, we need to work on changing the narrative. Oh, there was a commercial a couple of years ago with Cheerios. Where they yeah. sure show, they showed um it was an inter is a is an interracial family. It was a little girl, it was the whole title name of it was called Gracie. And Gracie's mom was white and Gracie's dad was black. And she, I remember Cheerios had to shut off the comments on YouTube because the comments were so vile because people were just in a complete uproar. This is Cheerios, right? Like, you know, it was a sweet little commercial. And yeah, I think um, people really struggled with seeing a different kind of family and that it might be very different now, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? Um, But this was maybe 2016, Um, it wasn't that long ago, but yeah, there was a lot of uproar. So I think that's why putting different imagery and representation is so important because it normalizes things that are normal in society right normal is a word again but things that happen mm-hmm. are, that are common occurrences and so the minute that people see something that's different and like changes their perception of what they thought something was they they get in an uproar about it and i think that they we really that's why it's all the more important to put forth different images so it normalizes these types of things for people versus them but that that exists in a lot of different things in just in race we see that in um different um types of couples from you know different same sex couples mm-hmm. we see that with um people uh, with disabilities Yeah. right like it's, they it tend happens to do savior a lot mode. Mm. Right, like there's, there's so many different things. Seeing different people of different body types, um, like That's representation. Interesting, though. Yeah. On the,
0: to, sorry, on the Cheerio one because here, if there is an interracial couple, eighty to ninety percent of the time it will be a dark-skinned black man and a white woman. If it is a woman of color, she is lighter than Beyonce. Okay, and with a white man. It's never a dark-skinned Black woman represented with a white man. Oh, and I've never seen an ad where there's interracial with Asian. And we have very little East Asian representation on TV here as well.
1: Yeah, there's so much. There's so much. And that's one of my pet peeves also because I would like to normalize for my daughter seeing families that look like ours. And so it's whenever you see... um. Interracial couples here mostly it's a black dad and a mom of something else, right? Um, never, almost never do you see a black mom or a black mom with dark skin or brown skin with like natural hair that doesn't look like racially ambiguous. Like you almost never see that, and that's an issue, a problem.
0: Cool, yeah. So that representation, I'm excited to see things change with interracial mm-hmm. couples um but yes talking about the future or the present what is a campaign well, can, that I, can I just recently? go back to
1: what you're mm-hmm. saying um because in the uk because the makeup of your population is different from the makeup of our population here and i just think it's important for brands to understand what the population is of where you are and you should be showcasing that in your representation it's not like there's no formula right but you should more but i do think it's important whatever to over index sometimes mm-hmm. on that representation that we're not accustomed to seeing because we need to make it more common to mm-hmm. be able to see that and so over indexing is the way to sort of course correct it um right now because it's just so rare which is why you probably had that such bizarre reaction to the black family talking about gravy right
0: because <laughs> they're so not used to it it was just yeah yeah I always get excited for the Christmas ads because I'm just like okay what's they're gonna try um <laughs> I've become a inclusion spotter as well I can't enjoy commercials anymore
1: <laughs> I totally get it I totally get it it's just,
0: it's just like oh that oh that was good That, oh no that wasn't good <laughs> But yeah, so I would love to know a campaign you've seen recently or enjoyed recently that you considered inclusive and just a little description of what it was and how you found it.
1: I've been enjoying the Hyundai campaigns, mm. um, the Hyundai um, car company. Um, they've been doing a line of campaigns recently that have featured Black families. And I love them because they're selling cars, right? Like in and then they're featuring cars, so it can it's not a black storyline, it's just these black families doing different things. But what I love about it is they are changing narratives that exist, mm-hmm. right? So, um one it was I think that black men have a negative stereotype about their presence as fathers. Mm. So, without like writing a story that says, like, you know, hey, we're chained. No, they just had like a black guy with his nephew playing video games and they were like, you know, in this well affluent sort of area, they had a black father take his daughter and her friends to like the dance at school. And like all the girls um, had like natural hair and they were brown skin and dark skin. And they were like, it was just, it was images that me and my friends see on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Right. But, and it wasn't like this, heavy mess. It was just a family doing things that families do in the car. Right. And they just happened to be black. Me, I felt very much seen. I didn't feel like they were being performative. It just felt like this is a car commercial. And these are people that I can know like they felt, but they're also changing narratives. Like they were saying so much with the visual cues and choices that they made without having to say it. Yeah. And they were normalizing things, and you know, changing the narrative about things that aren't quite right. And they did it in a just simple light.
0: It way. just felt, yeah, just felt good rather than yeah. force. I love those yeah. ones.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a series of Hyundai um, commercials, and I at the end they are were like, okay, Hyundai. Like, and so even as I'm watching, I'm like, okay, Hyundai. like you know, I get it there's maybe one that I didn't quite like, but if you go on YouTube, you can probably see a number of them. I'll look for a link and I'll send it to you. Um, but yeah, like they're, they're just, they're cute and they're heartwarming. And I think that they, it really showed a sense of they understand their market and they're seizing the opportunity they have with Mm -hmm. their marketing.
0: I love it when it feels natural rather than forced. Yeah. Um, Sonia, thank you so, so, so much. I've enjoyed, we can talk forever. Literally. We
1: can, we can. We gotta have to do a part two. I have to have you on my on my um podcast, inclusion and marketing. So let's let's plan that.
0: <laughs> let's definitely do that. Let the people know where they can find you, and we'll add all the links in the description.
1: Uh you can um find me at inclusivemarketing.co. Um, you can have a listen to the podcast, inclusion and in marketing. Um, and then I'm on social. Uh, my name, Sonia E. Thompson. Yeah, that's where you can find me
0: great thank you so much and tune in next week to marketing inclusive podcast thank you for listening